Hey everybody, welcome to the Faith Church Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Jay Williams, and joining me today is my loyal co-host, Jeffrey Clossy. Good morning, Jay. Glad to be here co-hosting this podcast with you. Yeah. I love that you're you're really embracing that co-host title. Well, like you wanted that. That was a big deal. It was. The it's title. a promotion. Yeah, you it's like that assistant to the regional manager title. <sighs> That's right. You're a you're a co to the host uh-huh. instead of a co-host. That's good. Um, hey man, you had an eventful weekend. Oh, I did. It was so great that you didn't invite me to. False. So I don't know if people like here. Here's our chance to promote it. Like if people don't realize, about an hour away. We have some pretty phenomenal mountain biking trails that just opened. Yeah, they're in- we have a lot of mountain bikers. In fact, when we did a demographic study on our listeners, uh, like a high high rate of mountain bikers. We do. So for those of you who love to bunny hop in your spare time, uh, yeah, Athelstain is the place to be. I have to say, so it's about an hour, hour and fifteen minutes away from Marinette Peshtigo, and. I was not anticipating how beautiful the drive itself would be. Oh, yeah. Like the drive itself is worth yeah. um, going. But we, yeah, we have brand new trail trails called the Strong Falls Trails. You could actually camp at Goodman Park, and there's a connecting trail to, from that park to the trails. So oh, we're, really? our family's going to definitely try to do that. Yeah, and these trails, right now there's 11 miles, and there eventually will be 50, so they're going to keep working on them. But 11 miles through... I mean, wilderness that you, you know, at one point you ride next to a lake and the lake hasn't been named yet. It's just remote. Oh, wow. It's like, cause there was, did really you get to name the lake? No, no, but I put some suggestions in. Did you? Yes. What would you, what were your suggestions? A friend of mine had a crash there and I wanted to call it that. Okay. Yeah. So the friend, he, and, like, let's not say their name, no, but their initials are JP. Oh. And so had a little bit of a, <laughs> Well, I'm just doing initials. Like that could be anybody. Um, that did you? I heard that he kind of wiped out, huh? He's okay. He's okay though. Yep, he's awesome. Yeah, you, we did, there, you, did you wipe out? I did not. I mean, no. I heard it's pretty challenging. There are so there's. I don't know if you like if you've been to a larger mountain bike trail system, you know that they have different ratings. So green is beginner, blue is intermediate, dash blue is intermediate technical, and then there's black, which is like really challenging so i didn't get to do all of them yet but the blue i'll say the blue intermediate are really fun but they are challenging so you you need to go and ride over boulders and rocks Um, but the green is fast and i would say beginners should definitely try it and in addition to mountain biking it's made for hiking and trail running too and that would be great on those it's just so beautiful it's a beautiful area so yeah i I highly recommend checking it out like a mixed use trail like that well, not really on these ones because they did a great job making them. They're not super narrow. They're not wide either. They're only wide enough really for one bike safely, but you could do two um, through some of it. So, yeah, people that are hiking, just they hear you coming and mountain bikers are aware of it. But it's it's a great, beautiful wilderness area. I, I'm really proud of our county who w- went to work and got that done and they continue to work on it. And there's a beautiful, if you look on online, you can see a picture of this beautiful metal work that's like the gate that you drive through to or you bike through to start the trails it's like two bikes facing upwards on the side and then all these bike parts that spells strong falls trails it's, oh wow um, that's amazing that's cool yeah 
And you said there's a lot of boulders and rocks that you're climbing. Yeah, it's r- like Canadian right Shield in that area of the county. Okay. It's so different than around here. It's like actually when you're driving there too, you get butterflies because of the up and down is so significant. Oh, yeah. Um, which is fun. So did you, when you're riding over any of those rocks, did you at ever time at any time think I should build a house on one of these? What a great transition. I was just curious. I did notice that it was a lot uh, less likely to move under my bike than the sand yeah. that I was riding. I on bet. Was. I bet. Because there actually were some parts of where you, it gets a bit sandy yeah. and it gets pretty squirrely. Yeah. So, wow. I see what you did see there. What, see what I did there? Yeah. Look at that, that was great. I'm a, I'm a professional now. That was really We're good. We're at episode 712, and I finally know how to do transitions. It, so, everyone's like got us on double speed, just slowed it down, rewound it. Yeah. So they can hear like, that again. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we talked about, we've wrapped up the Sermon on the Mount this weekend. It's amazing. Which I don't remember how long we've been doing the Sermon on the Mount, but uh, it's been, yeah, it's been since did, January. I think we at should least. Probably know, yeah, we, we should, should probably know, know that, these things. We get so immersed in it that yeah. I guess it's just, but it's been it's been really incredible and really challenging. I think what I've loved about it so much is when people, um, well, a couple of things that have been really encouraging to me is we've had a lot of feedback from people about what God has been doing in their life through it. But my favorite is that they they don't really remember quotes or anything. Like it's just it's just the words of Jesus that are like ringing in their ears and the concept. And I was saying something. I was saying to somebody on Sunday that often it doesn't it happens where people will come up after a sermon or later will say like oh it's like like this is what i got out of the message and and they'll you know some it'll be some point that i'm kind of like oh that that's the thing you got like uh you know that's like a really small sub point or whatever but this one like sermon on the mount it's just so clear what the main point is that that's been what's been so compelling to people is just like Jesus is not, he's not even really speaking in, in a mystery. Like he's, he's really being really direct and it's just hard to grasp, you know, the, the depth of what he's saying in, or, or it's, it's hard to face the reality, I think, of what he's saying so often in it, um, partially because it's so direct and because it's so clear and because our instinct is so often like, um, man, our our instinct is so often a defensiveness or a, like you can't really be saying this, and and then for him to wrap up, it's it's almost like he's wrapping up addressing that, just saying like, listen, you could you could hear these words, and you could think they sound interesting, you could think that you might you might have some agreement that you think that would be good for other people to do. You could think that, oh, this would be a good philosophy of life or a good normal rule of life. Um, but he says at the end, if you, it's, it's the person who listens to them and does them, like obeys him in them that is building their house on, on rock and that the other is building your house on the sand and it's going to be destroyed. There's no, there's no like, hey, you're building it on dirt. And, you know, you may be okay, you may not, but if you really want to be sure, like if you want to be really safe, build it on the rock. He's not saying that. It's it's one or the other. There are no other options. There's no in-between. There's no, like, 80% safe foundation to build your house on. It's it's this or this. And he echoes that with the gate, and, like, when he's talking about the gate, like, there's two gates. There's not, like, a, a middle one that's medium in size that a medium amount of people go through that leads to kind of 
ambiguity. It's there's it's either or. That really is the challenge to me of the Sermon on the Mount. It's the challenge and the good news, but it's the challenge in the sense that the ways that we've heard him describing the kingdom of God to be that then we're called to live. It's not, like you said, it's not, he doesn't say it in mysterious ways using, you know, images that we can't grasp. It's just so different than how we experience the world and how we experience our own hearts that it's like, really? And then when he makes it so clear, I don't know if he even made that point you just made this weekend, but that's really good. That was really good that he doesn't leave any room for there to me to be a middle ground or a moderate approach. I, mean, I tried to make the point. I just didn't make it as well. As that I was just right very there. clear. It was really good. <laughs> you should you should preach like that. Yeah. <laughs> that would have been way better. Oh, it's just it's true. Like there there just is no medium route or moderate approach to following him. It's all or nothing. It's our whole life or none of our life. And to go halfway is to not. It actually is is the harder way, in my opinion. Than to go all in or not at all, the halfway up oh, yeah. is, is more challenging. Oh yeah, we see that all the time, right? Like you, if you're the the most miserable people in the world that I have found are um, religious people who don't have a relationship with God, like because there's this the the person who's the the humanist who just is like a, a hedonist, meaning they just chase pleasure that person is free from guilt of of thinking that there's something else they're supposed to be doing they just pursue whatever they want and then of course the person who finds life in christ and abiding in him finds life and hope now the the humanist hedonist is going to eventually that's going to all collapse that's built on sand but while they're here on earth they're just chasing pleasures and and whenever something leaves them empty they just chase another one but the religious person who doesn't have a relationship with Christ has like this this like battle of well i i want to do that thing but i know i'm not supposed to do that thing and so i'm going to try to not do that thing until i finally do that thing which is really what i want to do and now i feel guilty about it and like that's a brutal way really to live i, I could have pointed that out that it's that there not only is there no middle way but that middle way is terrible like you wouldn't want it if there, if there was one, you wouldn't want it. And it, it's miserable. And I think it, it's why, I mean, I think even in the scriptures, you see, you know, the people in that position, they're so angry and judgmental and, and basically gloomy because it is miserable. They're just, they're telling themselves, they're, I can't go after this pleasure, but they're not seeking fulfillment and joy and life in the one who made them either. It's like they're just in this middle ground of no man's land. It's horrible. Like I'm trying to think of, I was trying to think of a parallel of that, but I, all I could think of is if you were in a profession that dealt with people, like if you were a teacher and you just felt obligated to be a teacher, but you didn't like students and you didn't have like any fulfillment, you didn't like, you didn't like working with other teachers, you didn't like students, you didn't like whatever, but you just felt obligated to show up. That would be a miserable life. And, man, I wouldn't, <laughs> you'd be better off, um, just like not, not doing it. So that's, that's a really interesting, a really interesting point. And I think this just, this is just part of what Jesus is doing is, is pushing against. And one of the conversations I had with somebody too, after Sunday was, 
um, that that kind of either or, you know, the rock or the sand, the narrow gate, you cannot serve two masters, like all those different things, it really pushes against us because often the way we deal, if we're honest with ourselves, and what I see a lot and what I experience in my own heart so often is we agree with Jesus in theory, but we don't, it's not absolute. Like our agreement with him is not absolute. Um, we think there's exceptions and we always think we're the exception. So like you agree in theory that forgiveness is important. Nobody is, nobody would disagree with that. Nobody would say, you know, what's better is if you harbor bitterness and unforgiveness towards everyone all the time. So everyone agrees that forgiveness is better in theory. Everyone agrees. I think that, that, um, it's a, it's a better path. It's a good rule of thumb that we should want to forgive. But then if you ask everyone, everyone would also have exceptions to that. Like, well, sometimes you just, you can't. Or, but sometimes there's more, things more important than that. And, and so you have to then at that point say, well, yeah, I know what, what Jesus is giving. Like you have to ask the question, is Jesus giving a regular rule of life or is he actually giving um, absolutes, you know, and commands and, you know, or the reality of like, this is just, this is what it is. Cause he doesn't say, um, like, let me think like another example, like when he says, it, when scripture says it's better to give than to receive, that's an example of like, well, it's, it's better, but we're also supposed to receive. Like it's better to give than receive, except when it comes to God. Cause I don't like, it's better in giving, I receive, like there's a mutuality to it that it's like both. And you'd never look at that. And like, the, it's not a command. You should always give and never receive. That's, that's a different thing than saying this thing is better than this thing, or this is the norm. And there's many things that Jesus talks about and that the, and the scriptures talk about that are kind of like a, this is better than this. This is the norm. But there are these exceptions, and there are like when there are those that he gives those. You know, marriage is a really good example where he says, "Yeah, there, there's an allowance of divorce, and there's reasons that's the case." But in the Sermon on the Mount, like in most of the things he's talking about, there's it's not a it's not a hey, this is a better option. Um, yeah, you could try try loving your enemy instead of hating your enemy once in a while and see how that goes. Yeah, like it's no, it's this is because he's describing the nature of reality in his kingdom. Yeah. Right. It's different than, so say we were preparing to go over to the UK and one of the, one of the things we were reading in the guidebook is, Hey, if you're going to rent a car, remember in the United Kingdom, they drive on the left side of the road. Mm. Okay. So that's just how they do it there. And in a lot of ways, that's just arbitrary. It's just a human convention. That's where this is different and the same. So in the kingdom, in his kingdom, the way it is, is that we love enemies. That's the way it is. And it's not arbitrary, like a left driving on the left side of the road, because it's actually a reflection of the unchangeable nature of God. So when he's doing this, he's unpacking for us in a very powerful and vivid way, what is the very core of reality God is and who he is, and then how our living and our being needs to match that. And and in the same way that it's unflu- you can't decide to drive on the right side of the road and and go very far there, in the UK, um, it, it's the same. It's the same idea. It's just not arbitrary and it doesn't change at all. 
but you can't have it both ways. Like here, if you tried to drive on the left side of the road, you wouldn't get very far before you had problems. Right. And driving on the right side of the road would be better for you. But that's just, it's an inflexible, it's an inflexible law in that way. Uh, but this is so much more meaningful and deep because it's permanent. It's unchanging. And these aren't things he just made up because he liked. He's he's actually communicating. This is actually the law of the universe because this is who God is. And God And God forgives. Right. He forgives. And we are like him. Like we we've been made to be like him. We are made in his image, and now we are we are light. We are salt. We we are meant to display his glory and who he is and the glory of his kingdom. And I don't think anybody would say if you look at the Sermon on the Mount, and you say, "Yeah, I mean, all that sounds great in theory. If everyone functioned that way, what we see in the Sermon on the Mount, how amazing would life be?" And what Jesus is saying is that's what the kingdom is. And so the reason we say, well, it's not like that is it's we're so quick to say because of other people. And the the call of the Christian is to live as kingdom people in the midst of a divided kingdom, like a, a kingdom that's at war. And so we are supposed to still live as children of the kingdom. And and so that's the calling. That's why like when we say, well, it's it's idealistic. Well, what we're really saying is, well, I would I would forgive if people just didn't wrong me. Well, it's only because they wrong you that you're able to forgive, which demonstrates God's grace and forgiveness. If you didn't have anyone, if no one ever offended you or wronged you, then you would never be able to display the forgiveness and demonstrate the forgiveness that has been given to you. You could go through your entire life. If no one ever did anything wrong to you, you would go through your entire life and never understand what it meant that God forgave you. Because you wouldn't, like, how would you understand that unless you, it's kind of like how parents always love to point out to kids, hey, someday you'll understand. Um, and and when they're, I mean, I remember my parents, when I would call them and say, you know, my, my kids are being difficult or whatever, my mom would just laugh, you know? And that's what a lot of grandparents do. They just like, bah, well, you know nice that you finally you're finally seeing this well there's a similarity to that only without the mocking or the condescending tone from god where he's he's giving us you think about it, it's actually a gift that you are put in situations where you it's a difficult time to forgive because in doing that you get a glimpse of the depth of god's love for you that he has forgiven you right like if you does that make sense it does like you wouldn't you wouldn't know what that is. It does. And it's interesting to me. Like, so I love what you were saying that, that most people, if they could get a description, if we could just describe for them what Jesus describes, the kingdom is meant to be like and how it is actually. So a place, for example, with forgiveness where that's, that's the norm. Forgiveness is the, the norm. And the golden rule yes. and all those other things that yeah. we'd say. Yeah. No retaliation, yeah. right. all those things. But uh, if the problem is that, if we feel like the problem is that everyone doesn't do that, so the kingdom of God sounds awesome and amazing and wonderful. The problem is not everyone lives for that kingdom. So then if we tell ourselves the solution to that problem is that we adopt the ways that aren't of the kingdom in order to deal with the ways that aren't of the kingdom, we are perpetuating the very problem that we're identifying. So if we say it'd be amazing if everyone just loved and served their neighbor as they want to be served and loved but people don't do that. So I can't do that either. 
Do you see how we just are advancing that other kingdom every time we do that? Yeah, every time you do it. Well, yeah, and if you think, even if you had the mindset of, well, I want the kingdom to come. So it's the golden rule. So I, wanna, I want everyone to treat others as they would want to be treated. But the problem is people don't do that. And so I'm going to bring the kingdom of God by also not obeying the kingdom of God. Yes. It doesn't you're work. right. It doesn't, it doesn't work. It's the fight fire with fire, but that's in our flesh. That's what makes sense to us. That's what I was trying to communicate with the whole addiction parallel is it just makes so much sense to us that we should, that we should function the way, like we should retaliate because how else can you get someone to stop doing something other than to pay them back? And yet that's not the kingdom. And if you believe in the kingdom that Jesus is bringing, you would have to say, well, no, Jesus says the opposite, like do good to those who do evil to you. And that's upside down. But on the other hand, it makes perfect sense. How else would you bring the kingdom? How else would you manifest the kingdom other than obeying the kingdom and living like the kingdom? I mean, it would be like, like you're talking about driving on the left or the right if you if you were called to be an american citizen over in great britain and you have to obey the laws of like or you're like you're trying to bring the american way there well then driving on the left isn't going to do it like driving on the left is just going to continue to like well now we're all driving on the left wait i thought the whole i thought we were all saying it's better to drive on the right which it is obviously um <laughs> just ask anybody just ask anybody right um <laughs> and so like you said it's so trivial like that's such a silly example um, but to, to really believe, to believe that Jesus knows what he's talking about the kingdom is to believe that the way we will see God's kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven, to ask that is to be ambassadors for that kingdom, is to live as children of that kingdom, knowing it's in the midst of a divided world where there are kingdoms at war. Which is why Peter and others, or Peter specifically, when he says, do not be surprised at the fiery trials as that come upon you as though something strange were happening to you. It's, what do you expect? If you're going to live as a citizen of a kingdom while you are living in a different kingdom, in the midst of a different kingdom, there's going, it's going to be hard at times. It's going to feel like you're going against the grain you're going to be swimming upstream. But the whole strategy is that, so that people would see that and then turn to our Father in heaven. Yeah, and right now that's normal. So like feeling like you're swimming upstream, Yeah, that's normal because we're citizens of the kingdom colonizing earth that isn't like that right now. Right. So Jesus calls us to pray and live. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. And I think it's amazing to me how he then takes, and for the rest of his sermon, he's illustrating for us what that looks like. And then especially with this ending, the building your house on the rock or the sand, and living and practicing his way is all part of that. There was something that really struck me, Jay, and I wanted to, as you were walking through, this was a really rich passage. I feel like we probably could have taken multiple weeks on it because there's so much in it. But one of the things that you did was you quoted... Uh, theologian D.A. Carson, Canadian, by the way, right? Uh, sorry, yeah. I had to say that. Uh, you quoted him, um, and I don't know if this is the quote or my paraphrase of what you said, but um, 
He said, our obedience to Jesus demonstrates that our life is lived in complete submission to Christ. So our obedience, and the word demonstrates is really important there. Our our obedience demonstrates that our life is lived in complete submission to Christ. I just thought that was a really important point as we think about what Jesus is telling us and teaching us here, if we're going to get this right in the right categories in our mind. Yeah, I think the reason why that kind of, it kind of struck me was we just so struggle with this relationship of our works and our obedience and our faith. I mean, volumes and volumes have been written about it. The church has split over it. And yet, it's actually not that difficult intellectually to understand. I mean, I've used, I I don't know if I, where I heard this illustration. Um, Well, I remember John Piper used to say, um, sometimes like this kind of question is like asking the question, must I, must I kiss my wife? Good night. Like, do I have to? And it's just such an odd question of, well, if you don't want to, if you don't want to, like if you're even asking the question, like it's revealing something, something underlying that might be a problem. It's a, it's a weird question. It'd be like, do I have to hug my children? You know, must I, must I serve my family? Must I, you know, do I, do I have to um, talk to my friend? Like all these questions we have to that we ask are just they actually reveal when we put it in those kinds of ways you'd be like oh that would feel weird if someone had said to you like if someone was a dad and they said to you like do I have to hug my kids like is that required like how would you feel about that question you're like what do you have other ways that you prefer to show affection and love to your children that are better than that yeah by all means pursue that but. I love that point because the the hug or the the kiss goodnight is a demonstration of what is real in that relationship of what your heart desires mm-hmm. for that person the good that you want for them it doesn't it's not the other way around right it, but you couldn't have one without the other either you couldn't just in your heart believe that you love them and never show affection to them ever just coldness and distance that wouldn't work it would just be a weird, it's just a weird, we all know that. Then you right? wouldn't Intuitively. actually love them, right? Right. And so when we ask questions like that, and I think the, the, then the works thing become, when we talked about submission, and that was part of the, the big point was I was trying to make, was that we often judge whether we're submitted to Christ based on things that we're already naturally wired to want to do. So some people, I didn't give a lot of examples of this, but some people are just natural rule followers. They just, they want to know how do things work and then I'm going to do it that way because that's the way it was designed. So they're the people who are going to um, read the instructions on how to put something together and they're going to do it the right way. They're going to, they're probably more compliant, you know, as kids, as as workers or whatever, because they know that's just the better way it works. And so they they'll follow the rules then with Jesus and they'll see that as submission but that's not actually submission that's more just God's grace that he's wired you in a way that sometimes flows with what he's doing um but 
the real test is when you when it pushes against your flesh, when it pushes against your understanding. And that's the demonstration. So what D.A. Carson, that, that quote was this, it was entrance into the kingdom does, does turn on obedience after all. So that's like part of the thing is like, so are we saying we get into the kingdom by obedience or by what we do? And and Carson is a theologian. He's not alone in this that says, well, yeah, actually. Um, but it's not the obedience which earns merit points. So it's not earning your way into the kingdom but it's the obedience which bows to Jesus' lordship in everything without reservation. So the obedience that leads you into the kingdom is not the one that earns their way or does enough so that you're worthy of it. It's the obedience that demonstrates that Jesus is Lord, that your life is submitted to him, that you, that you, um, that you obey him. And so you had asked a question of that, like that that radical submission to Jesus, and just which, by the way, is a, it's I mean it's a demonstration of our belief. So if we say he's good, if we say he's king, if we say that he he obviously knows everything, everything was created through him, all those different things, then and we and what he's offering is a treasure, you know, and his eternal rewards. Like it's not even like, well, yeah, I know all those things about him, but but he's asking me to go be a slave for eternity. Like he's not. He's also promising like you're in, you inherit everything. So if you believe him, then you would completely submit your life. But you asked the question, which I wish I would have asked during the sermon. So when we were just talking right before we hit record, you said, well, yeah, that's where I would just ask the person, do you want? Do you want to submit to him in that way? Do you want, yeah? Like, how did you how did you word that? What were you thinking of that? Yeah. As I was thinking about the the possibilities of how to respond to his call, I just kept thinking it is it ends up being a question: Do I want my life to be lived in complete submission to Christ? Do I want my life? Do I want to live in every moment in complete submission to Christ, who I believe reigns over all things and is my Lord? Because to me that helps resolve. So for 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 some people, their conscience, Jay, is is sensitive, right? And and yeah. they hear this, this obedience demonstrates my allegiance to him or my 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 faith in him, and they f- they think to themselves, yeah, but I fall short in this area and this area and that area more than I can name. And I would say, if if you're saying that and you're also saying my desire is that my whole life would be lived in submission and in obedience to Christ, then I would say that that will be the normal occurrence for us, that we will feel and know, yeah, but there's this area that I still need to grow in. There's this thing that still needs to change. I think that's part of what growth looks like. I don't think it means that like, okay, now everything's just fine. Like you said, I I just obey all the rules because there's going to be so many that we don't even realize we're not doing. And I think God in his mercy, he will peel back the layers throughout our life in a way that only he can do in, in the most loving way possible to bring about the transformation and obedience that he desires for us to be, to be living fully alive in him, to be our very, you know, most fully human selves. But we have to ask that question first. Do I want that? Do I want every area? Because if we don't, then we, we're, we're back to that kind of half in and half out thing that we talked about earlier. 
Right. And that's miserable. Yeah, we talked about, I mean, so yeah, if you were to, I mean, when I just think of simplifying it down to this simple idea that Jesus offers abundant life. He offers this treasure. Um, and the way that you receive that is dying to yourself and just completely submitting yourself to him. And do you, do you want that? Like a lot of people would want, you know, and this again, a small trivial parallel, but most people would say like, oh man, I would, I would love, um, I, I would love to, you know, be able to save up money to buy a house, for example. But the question of like, well, do you want to do what it takes to get there? Do you, do you want to trust that process and, you know, go to work? If you ask people like, why do you go to work? Some people really love their jobs. Other people go because they're like, they want to provide for their family. And so there is like a, a submitting to something that is not your own desire on any given day. That's part of growing up and maturing in the world is realizing like, well, in order to achieve better things, I have to deal with temporary um I have to submit in temporary ways, right? Like in, in immediate things. And we understand that in the world. But then when it comes to the kingdom of God, we think we, we revert back to like two-year-olds where we're just like, yeah, well, I want, I want all the treasures he talks about, but I still want to keep my own kingdom. And we've created religion in our country that, that says you can have that. Promotes that. It promotes that. And so that's what I was trying to get at when I was pointing out like that whole, we, we basically just created an alliance with Jesus where we say, Hey, I totally agree in theory that we should forgive everyone, but obviously there are limits and I'm not going to forgive this person. I'm not going to completely give up my right to justice. And so I'm going to, I'm going to make this person pay by you know, remaining bitter towards them and, and, and withholding forgiveness because that's going to, I'm going to exact my pound of flesh rather than just trusting God and saying, no, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And so I'm going to give that, I'm going to release that to him. I'm going to submit to Jesus or I, I'm willing to turn the other cheek. I get it that as a good rule of thumb, like we're on the same side in this, like, yeah, it's good to not make too big of a deal. I think most people, if that's their definition of it, they would say like, it's good not to overreact. It's good to just let some things go. But we say, I hear all the time in the church of like, well, but I'm not going to be a doormat. Even to the point where people will falsely quote Jesus and say like, well, but Jesus, yeah, we're supposed to turn the other cheek, but Jesus doesn't want us being a doormat. And I'm always like, what, where do you get that? Like, I'm not saying yes or no to that, but I'm just saying, like, that's awfully, speaking awfully authoritatively, saying something that Jesus never said. Nor did he even give any indication that he, like, by our definition of what a doormat is. Um, now, I get it. Like, there's unhealthy things that are going, but that then that reveals other sins. So that's not the, the point of that. Um, but it's not. Like there ultimately it ends up being this alliance that we create with Jesus, which ultimately says, Jesus, I'm on your side. I think your kingdom is awesome. And I am happy to align with your kingdom as long as like I still am king of my own little world. Like you can be king of 
all that stuff, but I'm still going to be king of my little kingdom because, because we think that the, the crossroads or we think that the, um, that the line that we draw of like, yeah, I'm going to obey Jesus in this until, until it's my pride that's at stake until it's my, my, um, reputation or what people think of me or what people, um, would say about me or what I, what I think is right or what I think is best. And so I'm willing to follow Jesus as long as I'm in agreement with him. And that's an alliance, which you pointed out, um, again, another line that I should have had, uh, in the sermon, but you said, um, alliance is very different than allegiance. Right, so we were talking. Yeah, it's a different posture of heart, right? Allegiance is he's the one that I cling to. He's the one with authority. He's the one that knows what is good, not me. So I don't I don't ally with him. Like we just have a shared interest in some outcome. Right. Ally, allegiance is it's your outcome, Jesus. It's your outcome. And Right now, because of our own brokenness and how sin distorts things, that will mean that sometimes his outcome doesn't look like the best to us. That's just part of the reality. Sometimes we are just having to say, because you have my allegiance, you have my heart, because I'm bowing to you, submitting to you, I trust that you know what is good in a way that I can't see right now. That's a hard thing to do, but I think that's also really freeing as well. And isn't that, that's what we struggle with so much, right? Yeah. I mean, that's the, when I'm, I, I've been, I've been so thankful that God was like, I, that uh, illustration of us being toddlers and that we are not, we're not grown adult children. We are, we are little toddlers. And anyone who's ever been around a toddler understands that the toddler only sees a very small glimpse of the world and often is being told that they have to do something that they don't see as good in the moment that everyone else around them knows is good. Yes. Like taking a nap. Yes. You know, how many adults have said, man, if, if I could go back to someone begging me to take a nap, like, yes, and begging me to go to bed, man, we would all love that. And we look at a, you know, a two-year-old and say, man, bro, just go to sleep. You're going to be fine. Or a one-year-old, like, just, just go to sleep. So, yeah, I mean, I think putting us in that realm and understanding, well, of course, of course there's going to be situations that we will not be able to see how in the world is this good at all. But then that comes into the, that's the submission. And at that point you say, well, yeah, because Jesus, I'm willing to follow you as long as you can show me exactly how this is all going to work out and how this is good in every moment. Yeah. It's, it's, so whenever we use the word trust or faith, it needs to be attached to the word allegiance. Because that's the sort of trust and faith we're talking that he, Jesus is talking about, and I think mm-hmm. the way he ends the Sermon on the Mount really highlights that. Like, it's not just um, trust that makes you feel okay in a moment that that is scary. It is that, but it's also trust that is allegiance and clinging and submission to Him with all of life. And that's why I think it's it's a worthwhile question to be asking ourselves: Do I want that? And then also to follow up with with God and say, help me to want it more. Teach me to long for that in every area of my life, and especially the areas of my life where I'm either totally blind to where I'm not doing that or where I can't quite see how good it is to submit to your way yet. Because that's the truth. We're all in process with this. 
Yeah, that's the old asking yourself, well, do I want that? When I was thinking that when you asked about, do I want a life of submission? And then if the answer is like, uh, I'm not, I don't know. I, I want to want it. Exactly. Like, ask that question. Like, do you want to want that? And, you know, we were talking about that with the alliance versus the allegiance of um, understanding that there are different kingdoms. And the question is where, who do you belong to? We talked about, I wish I would have used the illustration of, you know, World War II. We have the allied forces and, you know, the U.S. was on the same side as Great Britain. And so an American soldier would fight alongside, a, you know, a British soldier trying to accomplish the same goal. But at the end of the day, the American soldier is not submitted to the Queen of England. Like they don't... The, that doesn't happen. Their allegiance is still to their own kingdom, to their own nation. And um, even though they had a common goal and a common idea, <clears throat> and you just see that right now all over. And it, it, yes, of course, like politics is a huge one. It's a huge one. That's why, you know, when people think like, oh, they're trying to guess. I always like it when people try to guess like what my politics are. And I'm like, I'm, I'm, I belong to a kingdom. I want to work for the good of my neighbor here. And so I think it's important to be involved in those things. And, and I try to do that. But ultimately what I see in the, in the church so much is that we, we often have an alliance with Jesus, but our allegiance is either to a political party or it's to my own way of living, or it's to my particular cultural understanding of things like our allegiance is it that's the question of where where is your allegiance and then it goes to that question of submission and i love what you're saying about um you know not only is it when it pushes against our will but are you willing to trust even when you don't see you don't see the you know how how this could work out if you have an alliance with your neighbor to like build a fence and then your neighbor comes up with some crazy idea you have a you have it's total it makes total sense for you to say hey i need you to show me how that's going to work out like i need you to i need you to flesh that out for me because i need to be able to agree with you and believe like what you're saying here well that's not how it works with jesus and we try to do that like okay jesus i'm willing to hear you out on how you think the best way is but you need to show me how all of this is going to work out and again that'd be like a toddler like stopping and just saying hey okay you need to convince me that this is a, a a good idea. And I think that's where we get, that's really a better use of the term blind faith. Like a lot of times we think of blind faith as like, well, I have to check my intellect at the door. Or I have to check all reason or rationale. God is not a chaotic God. He's a very orderly God. Like things are in order. And so even what we feel is chaos are actually order. Like, so when Peter says, do not be surprised if those something strange were happening to you, like this is the plan. Jesus doesn't say to them, hey, I have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow. Like just whatever goes, just roll with it. Like that's not, that's not what he says. He says, the world is going to hate you. They hated me. They're going to hate you. This is the way this is going to work. Um, he says, he doesn't say, Hey man, I hope I hope you never face any trials. I hope you never suffer at all. You know, but if you do, just hang in there. It'll be all right. He says like, "No, this is actually how you're sanctified. Like this is this is the gift." So, 
common, like God's grace is that most of your day is not that way, but in those moments of suffering, whether small or big, that's what leads to perseverance and builds your faith. Um, and so it's actually quite orderly. Um, it reminds me of like, did you ever do trust falls? Oh yeah, definitely. So anybody that did trust falls, you know, like you, you stand up on a, like we did at camp and we'd stand up on a picnic table table. and then you'd have the people behind you and you're not looking at them. Well, that's a kind of a blind, it's blind in the sense of you, you don't, you can't see the people behind you. You don't know if they're there. You like, you don't know for sure. You're having to push against your, your better judgment of, Hey, it's a generally not a good idea to fall backwards off of a picnic table. But when, except when people that you care about and you trust say, I'm here, that's why it's so powerful, such a powerful illustration. That's what blind faith is, right? Like it's not like the, when we try to characterize blind faith as like, well, Christians just like they're, you know, it's just blind faith and just like whatever happens or some kind of vague Christianity or flippant statements, that would be like you just running around seeing a picnic table and jumping up on it. And then just falling backwards and hoping somebody's there. That's that kind of blind faith. And that is not what Jesus asks of us. Jesus is doing the thing where he's saying, I'm here. And he demonstrates that he's there. And he shows you that he's there. And then he says, I know you can't see beyond this next thing that I'm asking you to do. But I'm asking you to to trust me and to submit to me and to do the thing I'm asking you to do. And trust me that I'm going to be there with you. And then I'm going to work it all together for good. That's ultimately submission is when you say, well, I don't know how forgiving this person who wronged me, who hasn't repented and hasn't asked for my forgiveness and is still doesn't think they did anything wrong. How, like, how does working towards forgiveness and going on that journey to forgive them as Christ has forgiven me, how does that how does that actually serve like the kingdom? Well, I may not understand it at first. But Jesus says, like, forgive as you've been forgiven. I just I love that point of you know, with the trust fall, what makes it doable for any sane person who knows what would happen if they if you weren't caught is hearing the voice and sensing the presence of those you love and know love you mm-hmm. and wouldn't let right. that happen to you. Right. And to me, as you were saying that, it just struck me like how much that also illustrates so much of what Jesus taught on the Sermon on the Mount about living in intimacy and real personal connection with him. Because we do need to be able to personally experience and hear him saying, trust me, I'm here. I'm with you. I love you. I forgive you. All of those things, like all these truths that are just radically life-changing we need to be able to hear him saying that to us. And so to me, so if we live life in the, in the alliance sort of way with Jesus, where he has a, he has a goal that we agree with and he's going to help us get that goal rather than allegiance. If we do that and we have no personal connection with him, we don't hear his voice, then it will be impossible for us to trust him in that moment where we just can't see the outcome. Right. Because he doesn't seem near us. He's distant. There's no one there to catch us. But if we're living in connection with him, yeah, it goes up and down. Some days we sleep more than others, all the things, right? But if we're living consistently in union with him and abiding in him, 
I do think that makes a massive difference when you come to that moment where you have to say, I don't see how this is good, but I trust that it is. Because then you know he's right there. He's saying, trust me. Right. I love you. I made you. I'm with you. And if he's not there, then don't fall off the picnic table. Like if he doesn't call you to fall backwards, that, I mean, I just see a lot of people getting in trouble on the other side of that where they're like, well, I'm just going to trust God. So I'm going to I'm gonna buy this house and go into extreme debt because I'm just going to trust that God's going to be there with it. And I'm like, that's, yeah, that's like jumping up on a picnic table and being like, man, I just... I know my friends are going to catch me and you just fall off the picnic table. And I, I'm reminded when I was just thinking about that in my head, I'm reminded of the temptation in the desert, you know, when in the wilderness, when yeah. Satan says, throw, throw yourself off these rocks, like the angels will catch you. And Jesus says, do not put the Lord, your God to the test. But I think like, it's partly, well, he's not calling me to jump off these rocks. If my father called me to jump off these rocks, I would. And there was going to come a time where his father was going to call him mm-hmm. to go to the cross, and he did. And so that's like, again, we got to remember, it's about that intimacy, like you're saying, and obedience to him and doing what he calls you to do. And so that's not the same thing as just throwing yourself off of cliffs, you know, or doing whatever, you know, there, there's a there's a popular thing among atheists of just saying, okay, well, if God is real, then, you know, drink this poison or handle the snake or do whatever. And I just got to think like, well, okay. I mean, at that point, if you're, if, if you're going to handle a poisonous snake and you get bit and you die, that's just God saying like, you know what? Come home. Like, you know, like, let's, let's get you out of there. Cause you, I mean, like it's his desire for us is obedience and trusting him. It's not actually our physical safety or anything. That's not like, our temporary physical safety is not God's number one priority in our life. And that's where our kingdoms often, like, I mean, that's just a side thing of that's where our kingdoms often clash is because often for us, our number one priority is our physical health and safety. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. Like that we, that we ask for that. Like I don't ever want to make someone feel guilty for praying for a safe trip. Like I'm doing that for my son who's going to another country and, um, like praying for safe travel for him, absolutely I'm going to do that. But I also know that that is not God's number one priority for him or for any of us because this is all temporary. It's all fleeting. And so that's where you know our kingdoms clash. So I don't know if you have any other you have any other tidbits for us, Jeff, as we wrap up. No, I mean I part of me kind of wants to take this week now and reread the Sermon on the Mount. I was just thinking like... We'll do it then. I think I will. I think it... Doesn't take that long. No, it really doesn't. It's interesting that you could be left with the impression because it took us a while to get through it, right? That it was like uh, three hours of reading, but actually it's not at all. So yeah, I guess... Jay, I'm just thankful that we got to do this, that as as a church family, we got to walk through the Sermon on the Mount. And I really do think this needs to be the beginning of the conversation because to actually learn to do what Jesus said at the end of it all, like practice it, put it into practice, requires specific thinking about specific situations and living. And it's not just something we learn like we learn a new law. And then once we have the law, like, like for example, a new speed limit or something on a certain road, well, now I just don't drive that fast. It's not quite that way. It's more like training for a marathon we couldn't run yet and needing to learn how to live in the spirit. And we need each other for that. We need each other to 
really dive in and work these out, the particulars out in our lives. Because we forget, we forget how to walk. We, we are immature. All of us are immature, right? Like nobody Yep. there. Yes. Everything's relative. So some are, some are more immature than others. Right. Yeah. It's oh, a sliding sorry. scale, right? But we're, <laughs> yeah, it's nice. I see what you did there. Um, everyone's in agreement with you, Jeff. It's great. Uh, you're the adult in the room. Congratulations. Okay. Uh, no, the, the, like we try to, to walk in this and we do fall. Like I, mm-hmm. I hope that, I hope the illustration hit of that we're toddlers learning to walk and that we're going to fall and that there are going to be times where we're going to take too much credit about where we are. And then there are times where we're going to realize like, how far we have to go. But what's interesting about that is, um, I guess I could have taken that illustration a step farther, that a good a good parent who's watching their child learn to walk rejoices with them when they, they you know, they don't try to knock them down a peg. Like if they're smiling and looking around and be like, I took a step. They don't like, oh, good job, way to go. You know, like we don't, we you celebrate with them. And that's how our father is. Like he, when we are able to take a step, and we get excited about that step. He also rejoices with us and is excited. And then in the next step, when we fall on our face, he's picking us up and is compassionate towards us. And we think like, ah, oh, I failed. Now I'll never, now I'll never be able to walk. And God's saying, this is all part of the process. And so we just, we want to do that with each other. We want to be, um, we want to be really gracious towards each other, but also call one another to, to walk in this identity that's been secured for us. So, um, if you, if you need help with that, if you realize that you don't have that kind of community that is walking alongside of you and sees you in real situations and everyday life and can speak into that and where you can speak into their life, um, then please let us know. We want to make sure that everyone is connected, uh, into a, a family into into community that can, can live life together like that as we become disciples, making disciples, living out the identity of being God's family on mission. So you can email us at connect at faithpeshtago.com to to, uh, reach out to us or fill out a communication card on Sunday or just talk to us, give us a call, and uh, we will do everything we can to help you in that pursuit. Thanks for listening. We hope it was helpful to you and encouraging. Until next time, grace and peace. Peace.